welcome to another Aftershock. Uh, Jamin, glad to be here with you here at Stanford Stadium, another Cali Classico, the Quakes and the Los Angeles Galaxy, a 2-2 draw. Um, totally cut you off there in the beginning. <laughs> I think we got our second well, a little bit. We're going to go either way. Yeah, it, it's yeah. cool. Uh, so happy, obviously, you're there. Uh, yeah. It looks like the fireworks going on behind you. You yeah, know, Phil, talk, talk to me a bit about it. Yeah, talk to me a bit about the stadium tonight for those at home and who were not able to be there. You know, what was the mood like throughout the game? Because the Quakes lost, you know, lost the advantage a couple times in that game and had to had to come back twice, uh, although yeah, couldn't get the right. win. But so, you know, what was what was the mood in the stadium like throughout throughout the game? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just say I've been to several Cali Classicos and tonight uh, was no different than some of the biggest, you know, nights that that this team has had here at Stanford Stadium. I mean, last year against the Galaxy uh, was a disappointing loss and it wasn't quite as uh, wild as it normally is. But tonight, even with uh, Galaxy taking the advantage on more than one occasion, I mean, the crowd was with it. There was, uh, you know, they were doing the wave, like they were chanting loudly, the Seismic Union on one side and the San Jose Ultras on the other side, both equally loud uh, until, you know, later in the match when the Ultras kind of filled in. So. We were feeling it from both sides, uh, both ends of the stadium here. And I think the players could really feel it too. I mean, they didn't really uh, give up throughout the match. There were a lot of savvy plays. You know, the the one that Jack Scan scored to get back into the match. I mean, Carlos Acapo was, was you know, he read the play well. He was on his toes. I mean, I saw a lot of that throughout this match from the players. And so you could feel the energy. It was palpable. So I know I've been critical of the Quakes playing outside of PayPal Park for matches. But this is just one of those where, you know, they always rise to the occasion. And tonight was another instance. They didn't get the three points. But to take a point away here against the rivals, um, it was still a lot of fun to watch. And they almost nearly did it at the end, Jamin. I mean, Tommy had a chance there. Tommy Thompson had a chance there at the end to put one away. Didn't quite happen this time. But uh, an exciting match nonetheless. Yeah, both, both teams had their opportunities potentially to win it. And, uh, you know, the, there's, there's some chatter here. From the fans that uh, you know some people thought that it was a penalty and they were surprised it was overruled um you know phil from from what you guys could see and you're probably going to get a more side angle on this live yeah but that's right when i initially saw it i thought that he cleanly took the ball when i saw the replay i saw a bit more contact uh from mensa but he still did get the ball um you know how did you guys view it well, in real time, I mean, Alex and I looked at each other because we we're sitting next to each other in the press box, and it didn't seem like a penalty at all to us in real time from our angle up here. Um, it, you know, it looked at in you know at full speed, a 50-50 ball, a 50-50 challenge. I mean, you could slow it down and and reevaluate it again and again and again and get a different result every time. But in real time, it did not look like a penalty, and I felt the same way afterwards with the review of the Jackson Yule foul at the end of the match. I mean, it was very similar in that if you were to go back and review it and pause at a certain moment, you might have a different view of what actually happened. But if you watch it at full speed as the ref did, I think he got the call right on the yellow card there. Going back to the penalty, I think they got it right to overturn it. Um, it just did not seem like something, especially in a match like this, if it's a 50-50 challenge, to call a penalty there, I think is a is not the right call to go with if you're the referee. Yeah, it felt to me like, uh, you know, Luchi Gonzalez uh, tried uh, some different things with the attack tonight. What I think is going to be disappointing to him is that the Quakes, you know, finally win a game and, and expected goals. And uh, they they played much better overall in the attack. Uh, both of the goals 
were you know good goals and they had opportunities that they could have done more with as did the galaxy um but it just felt like the the that opening goal to give it up on another corner kick i believe that's three in the last four games that the quakes have given up off a corner kick or a close set piece um you know that seems to be a bit of a problem and it didn't take very much to be able to create the space for the header there. It's obvious it's going to be an in-swinging ball. I'm shocked that there's not more coverage at the near post. Yeah, actually, um, that was just a, a lost mark by Miguel Trauco there. And Edwards did a really good job to beat him to the near post, right? It was just a physical matchup. Um, you could argue that it is a mismatchup between the two players. But either way, Trauco could have done a lot more there to prevent the Galaxy from scoring that opening goal. So completely agree. And, you know, it's just unfortunate because the Quakes did have quite a bit of momentum. Um, we saw a lot of great play in the first 15 minutes from a lot of the guys on the pitch. Um, but, you know, one thing I think we got to talk about here, Jamin, is the performance of Nico Chikaris throughout the match. And not to really nitpick the, um, you know, the not up to par performances for the players. But I think this was kind of a sore spot considering this was his opportunity to come in. Jamero Montero is not in the match. We've talked throughout the season about the need for an attacking player in the midfield to really make a difference for this team, right? Because they continuously relied on those uh, those crosses, which, you know, Espinosa has found a lot of successful crosses throughout the season. If you were to look at the stats between the Earthquakes and the Galaxy, I mean, it's staggering how how much Espinosa has done to create in the attacking third for this team. But, you know, coming into the match, I kind of expected a little bit more from Nico, but Having to go up against uh, Ricky Pooch, I mean, was just a mismatch there. It, it, Pooch ran circles around him throughout the match. Uh, he was, a, you know, he was just lightning for for the Galaxy. I mean, he did so much for them throughout. And I was, I looked over at Alex during the match. I'm like, could you imagine Ricky Pooch on a good team? Like how much he would be able to affect uh, somebody who can actually utilize his skills a lot more. And the Galaxy are not quite that. They are dwelling at the bottom of the table this season. And I mean, even if he were to play on like an Earthquakes team, I think, you know, he would have quite an effect. So uh, Chikiris, to me, you know, had a bit of a disappointing performance, which what made it even more disappointing, I think I pointed this out in the Slack, is the beginning of the match, like he, you could tell that he was reading the game or, you know, he was reading the players around him pretty well. He made a couple of nice layoff passes, but then he just wasn't able to set himself up in a manner that would be uh, a benefit to the defense. And I think that was the biggest detriment there for him. Yeah, to, to kind of be a little fair and critical to the Galaxy at the same time, they seem to have this habit of kind of playing to the competition in various games. And tonight, I can I feel like it was another game in which they kind of played to the Quakes, where they had opportunities where they could have done more and, you know, just didn't make smart decisions in various, you know, opportunities with the ball. Um, took took shots that they didn't need to take um, and, uh, you know, didn't transition very well, even when they would have numbers at times. And there were times when it came off. Certainly their second goal looked like, you know, the Quakes were just, you know, standing around, you know, watching, uh, you know, uh, Diego Costa and then Judd with the ball. And he just, they just, you know, wormed their way right through. And Diego Costa, you know, let's, let's be honest. I think we all know he has not been very good. You yeah, know, he's been for the LA Galaxy uh, ever since he, he's been signed for them. Um, and, he, and he, you know, he just made the Quakes look, look terrible there. Both And both goals. I think the di- really disappointing thing is that 
the quakes were just caught standing and watching. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that approach to the match because when they first came out, we were seeing a lot of really forward uh, movement from the team. We were seeing a lot of really deep uh, passes from both the fullbacks and from the midfield. And it kind of seemed like the game plan coming in, I'm actually interested in what Lucci has to say about this is uh, to try to like beat the defense. Because if you were to look at the way the Galaxy set up in this match, they only had one natural center back, right? They had to bring in Kelvin Leardham to come and play center back. And then they had Raheem Edwards, who actually had uh, quite the effect on the match by scoring that first goal. But uh, setting up on the back line, that was a great opportunity for the Quakes to take advantage of the uh, soft spot for the Galaxy. And it didn't seem like they quite... They quite did that. I mean, they kind of played it up the the wings at a, you know certain times. Espinosa did his thing as he mostly does against opponents. But I just thought that perhaps, especially again going back to Nico Chakiris and getting this opportunity, they would be able to soften up. Uh, you know, with uh, Benji or uh, with with Jabo playing up top, they'd be able to soften up those center backs and perhaps get something uh, into the back of the net. But they just weren't able to do that. And so that probably was one of the other frustrating things about this match that I thought the Quakes could have taken a lot better advantage of. Yeah, uh, one of the things that was kind of interesting was the dis was in the first half, and I'm not sure if it was fully intentional because sometimes he switches sides anyway, just because it's convenient because of set pieces and such. But uh, we saw Christian Espinosa playing a good bit of time out on the left, Jack yeah. Skane playing on the right, and during that time period, there was some really interesting things going on with the Quakes attack. It didn't all come off. And even on the broadcast, um, you know, I noticed that uh, that Joe and, and Ted, you know, who had the home radio call and, and which was available on uh, season pass tonight, uh, that um, that they felt that the attack, the attack improved when things switched back. But I really actually kind of liked uh, Troutko getting up into different situations, Rodriguez getting up into different situations. They were getting into the half space that normally Jamiro Montero is in. Mm -hmm. And I want to give credit for Asher Cohn for pointing this out in the, in the Slack because I had noticed Troutko doing it, but I hadn't noticed Rodriguez doing it as much. So he brought my attention to it. And, um, you know, and, and they were creating some havoc. Troutko literally could have gone in on goal 1v1. And I don't think realized that he had beaten everyone. And that there was really nobody to be able to stop him and is, instead decided to, to take a shot from a bit of distance. Um, there was a number of situations tonight where I felt like the Quakes had space and opportunity to be able to push forward and decided to make another pass, decided to take a shot from distance. Even Espinoza, um, he was offside, but he took a shot from, from distance where he would have been 1v1 with the keeper and hit the crossbar, but uh, they, they ruled that offside. Right. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just another situation where it feels like the Quakes didn't really take advantage of, you know, some opportunities in front of them and decide to kind of pass them up to be able to either make another pass or, um, you know, to try an earlier ball, which doesn't come off and tends to to just, uh, you know, go, go out uh, go mm -hmm. out for a, uh, for a goal. Definitely pitch. agree. Definitely agree with that uh, with that analysis there, Jamin. I think. Right before the Quakes scored the equalizer, I, I had actually said something to Alex, and in the Slack he had mentioned that I had called the goal. The one thing that I noticed that was different as the Quakes were going into the attack is they were so much faster in transition, and they were playing on the front foot. And I looked over at Alex and said, oh, this actually reminds me a lot of previous Classico matches when the Quakes are pushing forward with a lot of intent to score, and it kind of felt like it was bound to happen at that point, which is exactly what happened. Right? It was There was a bit of a, 
a bit of luck there. And that Espinosa was able to get the glance off the defender to get the shot. But it was the shot that was on goal nonetheless, right? He took the opportunity and the Quakes were playing on the front foot. So that's actually another thing that I wanted to bring up because one of the issues I noticed throughout the match is that, uh, and this has been an issue throughout the season, actually, and we've seen this from Jamiro Montero and other uh, central midfield players who are working in transition, but especially in the attacking part of the midfield, is that they are not moving the ball up quick enough in transition through the central midfield. They're oftentimes right. moving it out towards the wings, but they, you know, once it gets into the central midfield, there are a lot of additional passes, as you just said. They're not really taking those opportunities on the fly. The thing I find really interesting about that is when Jabril Montero was initially signed and brought into the team, that was one of the first things he pointed out when he was interviewed. Is he said the team doesn't have enough intent in the attack. They're not quick enough. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's essentially what he was saying when he first joined the team, is that they need to be quicker, um, have your head up, make that quick pass, and get it into the attack. And oftentimes throughout the season, we haven't been seeing that. So, of course, the one time where they do that about the you know 81st minute, that's when they score that equalizer. And I think that says a yeah. lot about what the, the potential that the team has. I do think when, when Shakiris looked better tonight and uh, you know, I didn't get to see as much from a defensive side as you did, I think just due to the angles from Apple TV, but I noticed that, that you guys were talking about it. So, so I, I trust your, your tactical view up there. Um, when, when the Quakes did push it, it was usually Nico who's pushing it. He seems to be the one willing to take on players through the middle of the pitch. I noticed that Montero and Yule tend to try to get rid of it quicker, whereas uh, Nico sometimes to his disadvantage, actually, kind of like Cade, uh, just decides like, oh, I see a, a little bit of daylight. I'm going to try to attack it. And sometimes he runs into a double team or the other night he even ran into a triple team. Right. Um, and, uh, and then he gets stuck. And then, he does, you know, he at that point, he, you know, he, he's going to end up coughing up the ball. Um, so I, I do want to update the fans a bit. So this is going to be a different different show tonight. Um, so many of you have seen the comments from us. Uh, we tried to explain it a little bit over uh, over Twitter and then a little bit more in the Slack. So we are going to be joined down on the field by Robert Jonas and Alex Morgan, I believe after they are done talking to Lucha Gonzalez and a player in the locker room area, the way that it's normally done at a Cali Classico, because these college locker rooms, it's a bit different. It's a little bit kind of disconnected from the rest of the stadium. It's a long walk down there. You kind of go into that area and then they segment off a portion of the locker room to be able to have a conversation with a player or with uh, the coach. And uh, so there will be no live press conference tonight, but we will hopefully get some of the things that were talked about in the press conference when we talk with, with Alex and uh, and Robert and then Phil, I think you are also going to try to leave and go down and join them. Uh, you know when they yeah. are getting getting set up there, right? That's right. So there are a few moving parts here, but that's the plan. We are going to have quotes, old-fashioned style. They're going to write them down and they're going to bring them with them down towards the field. We'll be um, we'll be reporting over near like where the security normally stands. We have a section off uh, over there where we can actually meet up. So. We'll be talking to Robert and Alex as soon as they're done, talking to the players and the coach and getting those quotes and getting some of that feedback from the team. And then um, I'm going to make my way down really quickly to join them. And hopefully we can uh, have a nice chat from there and we'll see, you know, we'll see where it goes from there, Jamin. Okay. Well, I will try to, you know, hold things together here. If you're able to stay with me until they're in place and then make yeah, your way yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you I'm know, happy to stay can, here and continue to, to chat about the match. And, 
Yeah, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. I think uh, I love the yeah. opportunity to do a uh, in-stadium show. I will produce from this side over here, and uh, but I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. Thanks to our patrons, I, I want to point this out. So you're going to see some new equipment tonight. Maybe it's a good time mm -hmm. to mention the Patreon. Uh, but uh, you know, with the money that you have uh, provided through the Patreon, there's many costs that are not obvious to everyone that get covered uh, both from the website side, from the from the the tooling that we use here uh, for the post game show. Um, there's uh, security software. There's all kinds of things that you just want to think about or a thing at all um, when it comes to the website and and some of the things that you have to do to protect the website these days and 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 those types of things. And so there's investments that go on there. Another thing we like to do is we try to do some uh, uh, away travel and cover some away games on occasion. I come in for a home game and 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 uh, and and those costs. Uh, uh, most of them get covered. Not not all the costs, but. Uh, we use it for some of that. And uh, I'm, for instance, I'm going to go uh, cover Leagues Cup in um, uh, Portland. Right. So that will be one of the ways that uh, we will use away travel is, is, is covering Leagues Cup uh, in Portland this year. And then also um, uh, this year we have invested in some equipment that you're going to get to see tonight for the first time. Um, with some help from Joe Workman, so a big, huge thanks to him for giving us some recommendations. Uh, we are going to debut some new equipment, so if things don't work exactly right, um, you know, just know that it is the first time trying to use this. We have done some yeah. test runs, and we are optimistic it will go well. And I, but, I think it's going to go well, Jamie. We got, but, but we you got never the, quite, know, you never quite know with the so. Wi-Fi in a stadium, though. You never quite know. Um, I know, and I was trying to actually get on Edgy Roam. Anybody who's in college who's watching this is probably familiar. You know, throughout California, there's a, a kind of like connected Wi-Fi system for all these universities. I'm actually surprised. Uh, I didn't realize that the private schools like Stanford have this, but it's here. So ah. there's a possibility we could connect on to Edgy Roam. I did this when I was over uh, taking some students over to Santa Clara University recently, working through the program that I work with. So there's that possibility as well. But you know, we've got an A here. We've got Dominic with us tonight. We've got Robert. Like, there's a lot of us who can figure this thing out. We made sure to charge all of the microphones. That's true. And A's going to be down on the field trying to, yeah. like, run everything down there, too. So exactly. we've got a producer on the field tonight. Yeah. So if a producer on the field, we got you, Jamin. And then, we, of course, we got Alex and Robert and uh, and Dominic in the background, too. So there's a there's a bunch of us here from the Quakes Epicenter team. And, again, I want to reiterate what Jamin said about quakesepicenter.com forward slash Patreon. Um, and again, for only $5 a month, you can join the Patreon Slack. So it's pretty awesome. We were, we were, I mean, the, the Slack was getting pretty lit up all night. I had a chance to hop on for a while. Uh, me and Alex were kind of going back and forth and talking about the game. And so it's a good way to chat with us throughout the match. It's a good way to chat with us uh, when, when the match isn't going on during the week when we just want to talk about the Quakes because we all love to do so. Um, yeah, so... There's also the the two dollar bit, Jamin. You can get early access to some yep. of the materials that we put there on Quakes Epicenter. Um, yeah, we do we do fewer get, articles yeah. than we used to. So really, if you're giving us two dollars, it's because you appreciate what we do, and in exchange for that, uh, we do give you early access when we when we do put out articles. But if you like our, uh, if you like what we do, and in, in just in terms of the after aftershock shows, if you like what we do, uh, in terms of some of the videos that we put out for free. Um, the interviews that we did, uh, like the interview that, that I just did, uh, kind of, kind of recently with a former, uh, broadcaster for, 
for the uh, San Jose earthquakes. Um, mm. You know, you uh, if you have interest in in different random, almost sometimes conversations like that, sometimes preview uh, a particular game. You know, be sure to uh, to check out those videos. But donate the two dollars a month toward toward that, and then the uh, the upside of the early access. Um, and if you you know want to get in for the chat, you want to be a part of the community. You know the five dollars, or if you're really generous, the fifteen dollars. The best ways to get on on those. Yeah. Michael Peachy says to be sure to join him. Whoops, here, hang on. Join me in the Slack. <laughs> that was the wrong comment. Yeah, that was the wrong comment. I don't, I don't put good. out uh, player sucks comments on, on here. Yeah. And, uh, ben, ben should know better you know by now, but he's got, he's gonna ben make his better. comments because Ben does, Ben does, Ben does yeah, what Ben's ben gonna do anyway. Good. We love Ben. That's right. So <laughs> if you want to join Michael Peachy in the Slack, and here's the thing that that you don't know about Michael Peachy in the Slack, if you're not in the Slack, is that if there is any game anywhere in the world that is going to penalties, Michael Peachy tries to be up and watching 24 seven, 365. Um, and he is going to do a alert to let you know that there is a penalty shootout somewhere, what network to catch it on, who the teams are, all this kind of stuff. He tries to stay on top of it. Sometimes he falls asleep because he's on the East coast and someone else has to pick it up for him. But, uh, you know, but uh, definitely if you want to get that kind of notification, that's a reason to be in the Slack that you don't even know about unless right. you're in there. And I want to. Frank says he's going to go sign the, up for the uh, Patreon right now. Frank, thank you, Frank. Frank's doing oh, the right I love thing. the picture, thank by you, the way. Yeah. John Bush with the middle finger. Absolutely. <laughs> legend here in San Jose. Um, I also want to recommend that folks check out the shop, too. We have those really cool Quakes Epicenter scarves. Jamin, I don't know if you have one on hand. I didn't bring one with me to the match tonight. I'm just, oh, just I, I mean, I got, the, uh, I got the uh, Aftershock scarf right scarf. here. Well, it was like yeah, too got... hot to wear a scarf. Uh, folks who were Going here in Stanford there. this afternoon, it was like over 90 degrees, um, which actually I drove here from Pittsburgh, and it was 104 today in Pittsburgh. So it was a little cooler out here in the um, Palo Alto area. But uh, Sarah, my wife Sarah and I were walking around before the match. We were out in Palo Alto, and it was like really, really hot. So I hope folks like drank water. We didn't have any, you know, injuries because there were emergency vehicles set up all around. But it was, um, it was quite the, you know, pregame festivities. Jamin, we also had like the epicenter. Um, I, Bay I, I, noticed, I noticed this. As, I noticed this as well. I thought, did I see what I think I saw? And uh, I, 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 I almost re, I almost rewound, but yeah, it looked to me like Chaco flipped off during the game. Yeah, yeah. There was, sorry, I mean, it was, sorry, it was, was hot. That, was there, it was hot another way. No, no, it's all good. I was just talking about the uh, the epicenter, the little area that where they had the festivities before the match. So there were oh, like, okay. trucks. We had oh, yeah. uh, what I was mentioning. Bay FC was actually out there. That's kind of like the other big news that oh, very nice. kind of following the women's and uh, the women's team that's coming into the area, the NWSL team. So. They were giving out swag. They had like one of those wheels that you spin around. So it was kind of cool to see them connected to the earthquakes. Um, of course, we know that there's that connection with Danielle and you know some of the other folks who have been involved in Bay Area soccer for a long time. Daniel Slayton, who was, I believe, on the broadcast tonight. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jamin. I obviously was not listening to it. Um, yes, so, I was listening, so I was listening yes. to the home broadcast with Joe and Ted. But uh, yes, Danielle mm -hmm. was on the national broadcast. Exactly. So, um, so there was that, and it, it was cool, man. Like, um, but yeah, like I said, it was warm, and hopefully there weren't any people who were getting heat stroke or anything like that because it was a hot one. And yes, you could see it on the pitch as well. So, Brian, okay. with a with a with a good question here, and kind of the million dollar question as far as I'm concerned, the team tactics seem to have become less effective as the season goes on, and teams get more film. 
says something transfers can fix. I know a lack of depth isn't helping right now. So I want to take this this on a little bit. Um, you want to go go ahead and uh, jump in with your perspective on this, Phil, and then uh, then I'll yeah, for sure. This is actually an interesting point. I was talking to Robert Jonas about this before the match. One of the things he said was, well, we're talking about Luchi ball, right? And like, what exactly is Luchi ball? And we're kind of still discovering what, what it is, like what the team is trying to accomplish. We know that uh, Luchi Gonzalez likes to set up defensively and have a very strong and formalized presence, unlike what we saw with Matias Almeida. Um, but like I mentioned earlier in the show, they have relied heavily on pushing the ball up the wings, right? We don't have Kate Cal right now. So like um, less of the attention is on the left wing or the right wing as it, as it was tonight with Jack Skane opposite of Espinoza. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that Christian Espinoza really is the focal point because he is the best player um, on the team, right? The, the person who made the all-star team uh, so much comes through him. He has the most goals. He's got assists. I mean, Right now, it kind of seems like that's the one thing that the Quakes are able to do effectively, and we saw that in this match too. So to go back to the question, I think that's like the main tactic. They can set up defensively well. There are some minor mistakes that they make occasionally, which lead to these conceded goals. Um, tonight, it was really unfortunate. They conceded on a set piece on the near post. Um, but if you're looking at them go moving forward, which is really what I was looking at tonight since I had the, the broader view, um, it all goes through Christian Espinoza. I mean, that's really where it starts and ends. So if he's not performing, which he has been throughout the season, then the team is not going to be playing well. So um, as you can see, he's been playing well. The team is in a, a good position, not a great position. Um, they are above the playoff line. But, um, you know, that, who knows, Jamin, like if, if it comes down to, um, God forbid, like an injury or, you know, he, he just – he goes into a, a spell of not performing as well. This team is going to go with him. So yes, I agree. There needs to be some sort of change that needs to be made within this team to ensure that they have consistency moving forward. You can't just rely on one player. Yeah. So, so here's the thing for me. Uh, when we, when we had Matias Almeida, I think everybody knows, you know, my thoughts on this. I think most of the quicks epicenter staff, you know, all kind of agreed with this, you know, the, the man marking scheme was a gimmick. And once the gimmick was figured out, it was really easy to scheme against that. I think people are concerned that the same thing is happening with, with Lucci. Here's where that gets different. It's not a gimmick. The way Lucci's playing is the way that a lot of clubs around the world try to play, which is this possessive protagonist type of soccer. You know, if I was to describe it, it's you're usually playing a 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 in, in MLS is, is kind of common, you know, sometimes a 4-1-4-1. Um, but it's kind of this more protagonist style where you want overlapping fullbacks and you have ball carrying center backs and you want to pass progressively between the lines and so forth and so on. We hear him talking about this. And there's a reason that he talks about this. Why? Because, you know, it's kind of proven that teams that are able to play this way and are able to impose themselves in this way on other teams, they tend to score a lot of goals and they also tend to use positional play structures to be able to defend and prevent giving up simple goals. So what I said before the season was that the Quakes can improve 30% from giving up the 69 goals that they gave up last season. And that's the only thing that Lucci did this season, but he kept the 50 goals, then mm. the Quakes would certainly be in the playoffs. The problem is the Quicks are not on track for 50 goals. And a lot of it has to do with, I think, right now that 
They are trying to play this particular style, but they don't really have, for me, the right players to be able to unlock defenses with this style. And that's what I think is going to be important to see if they can do that in the transfer window is to get another player that will be able to help them be able to unlock defenses that can can bring attention like a Christian Espinosa does. And I think that's necessary for Jeremy Obobese. I think Jeremy Obobese is not getting the service he was getting last season mm -hmm. in many ways. Um, last year, Yule and, um, and uh, uh, Montero had more free reign, but they had no defensive responsibilities at times. And so the Quakes would get ripped apart still defensively under Cabello, just like they did under, under Almeida, and then a bit of Almeida hanger to go along with it. Um, and so now that you've put that structure in place, they seem more afraid of like committing numbers into the box, maybe to be able to retain that structure. But whatever it is, Montero and Yule are not box arriving in a way that mm -hmm. allows them to be a threat the same way they were last season. So now you're basically putting, if you know, your offense is putting in crosses to a single person, maybe a second, maybe the backside winger on the opposite side or something like that. You know, and that's all you're getting right now. You're not you're you're outnumbered in the box almost every in every single situation. You're not even when the Galaxy were effective tonight. It was when they got even up in the box. The Quakes need to create the situations where they're even up in the box. And I think that tonight I saw Lucci trying some stuff, but I don't think the Quakes did it that way. That's that's what I'm going to ask you about. Out, I mean, if I could, that's, that's what uh, they came out the edge on XG. Yeah, they came out so, the edge on XG this time because of that. Well, one of the one of the changes that Lucci made in the match near the near the end is they were pushing forward and pushing to equalize and eventually pushing towards getting the game winning goal, which they didn't get, was bringing on Aseni Buddha. And we saw both Buddha and Jeremy Abobasi on the pitch at the same time. We saw two strikers occupying that position. So I was going to actually pose that question to you, Jamin, and kind of like how you see that as a tactical approach, whether that's just desperation which it most certainly could be or is this something we could see more of going forward perhaps not at the beginning of the match but maybe you know because I cannot remember the last I didn't watch the last game so I know that there were some tactics that may have been used that I'm just not aware of but like I can't remember the last time I saw these players on the pitch at the same time kind of occupying that same space and trying to make things happen there so taking a different approach with the two strikers I mean is that perhaps something that could solve the issue here or is it just again, falling short of what they need to do in the attack. Yeah, we, we've asked Lucci about that before. And I, you know, I, I think I think his general, you know, style is that he's probably not going to play with two strikers unless the team, you know, except for game state situations, like he's not going to start with two strikers. He's going to start with one. And if he needs to push, you know, like a, like a 10. So tonight, what was a little bit different is – at least the way that it was it was presented in in the pregame in terms of the lineup, it was instead of you know one six and two eights, it was a double pivot with a ten, um, and I think Jackson was a little bit more. So we had a little bit more of the six eight ten tonight. That also I thought opened up the quakes at times, and we saw mm -hmm. you, you mentioned what that did with Nico, like it did kind of open things up a bit more, but. Nico was staying up higher with Abobasi, so not really a second striker, but he did kind of stay up higher uh, during the match, a, a, a much more than normally Montero and Yule as a combo tend to. 
And uh, so I think tonight was a little bit more of the 6-8-10. That's why I think you saw more in the attack. But again, it also allowed for transitions for the Galaxy, although they didn't take fully advantage of it. If you try that same thing against St. Louis last week, you try that same thing against probably, you know, Seattle or LAFC, you're probably, the ball's going to be in the back of the net, right? If, yeah. if, if you make that mistake too many times, you can get away with it a couple times, but you're not going to get away with it more than three or four times before they're going to, they're going to punish you. And tonight I felt like there were times where the galaxy kind of got it together mm-hmm. to the point of maybe being able to punish the quakes, but, but not fully. And uh, you know, other than the quakes falling asleep on the second goal, completely on defense, um, you know, that was the only time that, that the, the galaxy really kind of put it all together in, into one situation. Right, right, right. So I was actually going to ask you about um, one thing that got brought up in the chat a little while ago, this question about Jonathan Mensa. Um, I don't know that this is as big of an issue as folks are making it out to be. It could be some of the like residual thoughts from his benching and some of the actions that were taken that weren't necessarily made public, but, you know, the, the punishment itself was. Um, obviously, because he wasn't in the starting lineup. But um, having another option in the center back position, people are talking about Tanner Beeson. I mean, my thought, Jamin, is that the team is a lot better with Jonathan Mensa in the lineup. Uh, he's simply a better defender, and he brings a you know leadership that they that they don't have necessarily in the back and poise. Right? We've talked about this from the beginning. Um, but is there, in your mind, anything that Beeson can bring to this back line, as some of the folks are saying in the chat, that Jonathan Mensa doesn't bring, or is it simply a matter of Mensa's the guy going forward, no matter what? Um, I don't. I don't think like there's there's. Um, I don't feel like there is some skill that makes one significantly better than the other. Is Mensa in situations a little bit more aware? than Beeson is? I think the answer is yes. Beeson's also has certain types of skills. He's very good on aerials. He's a very good shot blocker. Um, He does well in situations where um, there's going to be a lot of crossing. He anticipates where balls are going to be crossed well. He positions well for crosses. He heads them out decently well. Um, Mensa is better at handling things like a counterattack and trying to decide like, you know, uh, okay, we don't have numbers right now. We're 3v2 against us. How are we going to, you know, you can see like instructions between him and whomever else is back there with him, whether it's Rodriguez or on occasion tonight it was Trauco, you know, and he's kind of giving directions in terms of, you know, where they need to be and where he's going to be. I think he handles those kinds of situations better than Beeson does. I think Beeson is more likely to go into a challenge a la what he learned from Almeida and be a little bit reckless and kind of going in um, and giving up a little bit more. But then Mensa sometimes has been reckless in the box mm-hmm. and going into challenges in the box. And we saw that a bit tonight where it's kind of a 50-50 situation that if that call had stuck, I would not have been shocked. I also was not shocked that it got overturned. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of recklessness with both of them, but for different reasons. Right. Much different reasons. Mensa's reasons in the first part of the season paid off over the last couple of games Mm -hmm. and not really paid off. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if if that's bad luck or I don't know if the whole, you know, sit on the bench thing and, uh, you know, suspension that that he had to go through is kind of stuck with him. And, you know, I don't think it's an effort issue because certainly he 
got he he like went all out to get back on a couple of balls tonight that he mm-hmm. really I mean he was down and hurt um from one of those situations. He got whiplash around him like he looked like he was in a car car crash. So he put his body on the line. It's not like the effort is not there, but I'm not sure the same level of confidence is there. That's right interesting that, that you mentioned that because I've, I've noticed that with Tanner Beeson as well. They do tend to get into those situations where they have to turn face towards their own goal and then make a play, which was the case tonight with Jonathan Mensa. And I don't know that we see that from Rodriguez as often, but I agree with you that they make errors in different ways, right? Um, one thing I really enjoy about watching Rodriguez is his distribution from the back. I mean, he can send a really nice ball across to the wings or send it up, up the pitch to create something offensively. But he does have this tendency at times when he can just make a simple pass to try to go for the more complicated pass and then inadvertently makes a mistake, which other teams have capitalized on throughout the season. Not always, but we've seen it. So I don't know that uh, that Beeson necessarily makes those same errors. So, th- but I would say like between the three, for me, Jamin, Rodriguez has been the most consistent center back on this team, which is a bit surprising, um, you know, considering that coming into the season, that's not exactly the expectation that we had looking at how he played last season. And so um, I know one of the other things I wanted to kind of talk about, you mentioned that Asher had said in the Slack that Miguel Trauco, we haven't talked too much about Trauco, was kind of occupying some of that space um, that maybe Jamiro Montero would occupy. He was pushing up a lot more and trying to create opportunities. I know we've seen Paul Marie do this at different times in the season, but it was interesting to see Trauco do this. And he's actually a little more savvy with the ball at his feet than I thought going into the attack. I mean, there was that one moment when he ran into the 18 yard box and he had that little shimmy and he took a shot on goal. Right. And I kind of feel like I'd like to see a little bit more out of this from Trauco. He's quite the effective player coming into the attack. And if we're talking like changes, like, like little tweaks and tactics or some changes that we can see from this team as they move forward towards the end of the season. It isn't just Paul Marie who can come in from the fullback position to create some of those opportunities. Miguel Trauco can definitely do that. And perhaps like what people thought were maybe kind of like fluky goals from him that we saw earlier this season were just a matter of creating more opportunities and him benefiting from that. In other words, like creating his own luck. So Kind of interested in your view here too, Jamin, as to how he as the fullback has been getting more involved in the attack and if this is something that the Quakes can rely more on uh, offensively. Yeah, generally speaking tonight, I felt good. Rodriguez, by the way, fantastic game from Rodriguez tonight. Uh, In a number of situations, he put fires out. Uh, I thought he was excellent. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought uh, Acapo and and, uh, Trauco both had very solid games. Um, I thought both of them, you know, Capo obviously helped create that first goal by reading the play well, but he had other moments where he was getting forward and where um, the the pass to him was not ideal. Um, uh, but the op- the intention was was good, and I I felt like he was he was definitely getting into situations uh, mm-hmm. that he could mm-hmm. could have been more dangerous. Um, I would like to see him be a little bit Espinosa-like and not just settle for a cross sometimes. I would like to see him attack the box. I think him and um, Espinosa both uh, attacking the box off the dribble and kind of forcing the defenders to have to actually move um, would really uh, create some things at, at times. But usually only one of them's doing that and the other's settling for staying on the outside and then they just kind of 
one to tax and then they just dump the ball back out to the other. And, you know, I don't think that really does much to move the defense. In, in my right. Opinion. And I'm, I'm wondering, Jamin, if that's something that kind of changes as the team progresses under Lucha Gonzalez, right? Because like, to me, that says that they have this sort of system in mind of like, um, and like defensive integrity. Like there always has to be somebody who goes back and kind of occupies that space to ensure that they don't leave themselves in a vulnerable position. So I'm wondering like, as um, Lucci's tenure sort of gets longer with this team, hopefully, and as the players continue to play under his system, that perhaps we will see more of those risks being taken. If that's something that they can do as they move forward, because they know um, how one another play and they can continue to recover for one another and maybe move with a little more fluidity. But maybe this kind of goes back to that point I was making earlier about the transition, right? We're still seeing like a, a lack of uh, clinicality of like swiftness in that transition. Like it's, it seems like just one of those things where without bringing in any additional players, uh, tactically, this is something that can improve for the team. It's just a matter of mentality, right? Like moving more quickly in transition or in the case that you just mentioned, like just having in mind exactly how to move back into a defensive position and allow other players to take those opportunities. I, I don't have a problem, by the way, that, you know, I, I don't, I don't agree with that, this comment tonight in this situation. I think there might be other nights that if I'm not seeing other things that I would be more concerned tonight's not the night that I'm concerned with this particular point. Um, I think bringing in Troutko the way they did was an answer to not having Jamiro Montero to occupy that particular half space the way that they normally do. And they trusted Trauco to bring some of that creativity. And when they did that, they brought uh, Acapo back to be able to kind of like tuck back in and act like uh, another third player in the back to be able to defend against potential transitions. I think it was a tactical decision tonight to bring Trauco into those situations or even to bring Rodriguez at times into the situations mm -hmm. Um, you know, as Jesus was mentioning here, sometimes you let them drift inside because it, it can actually help with counters. Most of those counters start from the middle, from winning a second ball uh, or a loose ball within that space right in front of the box. And I think that often uh, the Quakes more recently have done a better job occupying some of those spaces and winning the balls back and being able to retain possession. We saw it happen a lot more tonight and we saw it happen a bit against St. Louis City than we had over the last four or five games previous to that. It was, it was driving me absolutely crazy among those four or five games. Um, and I think Lucci's seen that it's been a particular problem as well. And it's helped the Quakes retain possession a little bit more and also try to uh, potentially cut down on the counters. The problem, of course, is anytime you commit another player in to the attack, if you don't win that ball back, now you may not have numbers in the transition the other way. Does it work more often than not? Yes, that's one reason you do it. Does it sometimes fail? And then you're in a bad situation on the counter. I think we've also seen yes, and we saw a little bit of that tonight as well. Yeah, that's a curious thing with this team is uh, I was so used to over the last couple of seasons seeing the Quakes with a, a enormous amount of possession for any opponent that they play with, regardless of the opponent, and then kind of being inept with that possession, like they weren't able to create anything. And this season, we're seeing something quite different. Um, I had earlier, I think a few games ago in the Slack, actually referenced the dominant Canary years with the Earthquakes, in which they had this like defensive stability, and a lot of fans were getting upset because they weren't you know, seeing things happen offensively, and at times we don't get that with this team. But one thing that I find quite interesting, Jamin, is – 
if you look at the possession stats for the earthquakes this year, it's much different than we've seen in the last couple of seasons. I know a lot of that has to do with, with Lucci's approach to the game, but like, um, you know, what, what does that tell you if you were to read into that stat? I mean, I know we don't want to oftentimes read too much into possession, but I think it is indicative of what's going on with this team here. Uh, and just to give folks kind of like an idea of what that looks like, I believe I checked before the match, it was somewhere around like 40, 49%, maybe like high 48. If you round it up, it'd be about 49% possession for the team. Yeah. I was going to check real quick possession tonight. Um, we're talking about average the overall throughout the season. Yeah, average overall throughout the season. I was just trying to, to figure out. They actually didn't put it into these uh, these stats right here. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it's like, just to give it's you like the galaxy. The galaxy had a bit more possession tonight. Um, so yeah. in, in MLS, and they tend to. They tend and, to in, in, in MLS, I'm not as concerned about this. If this is a dynasty yeah. league, let's just take the Premier League because everyone generally is conversant about the Premier League. You expect Man City to have more possession in the game to be ball dominant and to use that, that dominance to be able to affect the scoreline. Right. Mm -hmm. And when they don't, it's a failing on their part, right. Or the other team, you know, you know, was fairly successful in their low block, but usually it's going to be like, Oh man, city didn't move the low block, you know, today and, and, and things like that. So there's a lot more of that ball dominance in a dynasty league, such as we see in, in Europe in MLS you don't really have the dynasty type teams. You have very good teams, consistently good teams in, right. in, in many cases, but you don't have teams that have that level of dominance where their possession is what opens up other teams and they use that possession to be able to move teams the same way that you can see in those in, in teams like Manchester City. Why? Because it's a lot more even in terms of the 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 um the quality uh, in the various teams, right? There's a lot of teams in MLS that will say, oh, we want to play with the ball. But when push comes to shove, you do what you have to do to win. And right now in MLS, a lot of the times, the, the teams with less possession are winning, like counterattacks, you know, countering, right. playing, you know, playing on a press, compressed mid block, trying to force turnovers and then transition out of turnovers is a very good way to win in mls and it traditionally might not, might not work that way in other leagues but yes but yes mm -hmm. but it's but it, but in some ways with the way that the pressing is now it's changed but it's still true um mm -hmm. that that if you try to play with the ball too much you're probably going to make a bad pass and you're probably going to get burned so that's where yeah. you want to kind of play if you're going to play with the ball you want to play a bit more progressively and be able to move it quickly and be able to move it forward side to side as quick as possible because you're probably not going to be able to complete as many passes as a ball dominant team. Our team is, by the way, trying to get ready pitch side. They are getting the equipment set up. I keep seeing cool. things kind of changing down there. They come in, they come out, they've been moving stuff around. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure what the situation is. I'm actually glad yet. that's happening, Jamie, because I'm, I'm still in the press box right now. And it is sweltering hot in here. Actually, I was going to go over and try to see if I can open up the window because it's like really hot. Oh, inside. you want to go ahead and do that? That's perfectly fine. I'll, I'll take questions from the fans. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and do that? No, and I'm not going to stay will, with you. I'm just trying I to see answer. Uh, Tim, Tim McLaughlin's asking about the window, new additions uh, to the roster during the window. Um, has the team said anything about that? The answer is no. There has been no statement from the team. We have asked Lucci Gonzalez about additions. Um, he has been elusive at answering any questions about that. But from everything that we know, 
the team wants to make additions in the window. That does not mean that those additions are going to be made at the opening of the window as much as we would all like that. It might mean that they come throughout the window or toward the end of the window and the number of additions, we don't know either. You feeling better? I feel great. You I feel, feel great, great now? <laughs> yeah, I, I was not even listening to what you were saying, Jen. I'm, I'm oh, I'm just answering Tim's, Tim's question. <laughs> I'm just answering Tim's question here. So, uh, yeah. which is norm, very normal in the league. You're not going to hear about additions until there's additions. Um, but has everyone kind of been saying we want to make additions? The answer is yes. In fact, in preseason, we talked a lot to Lucci. I'm sorry, not uh, Lucci, to Chris Leach about the, his strategy in the windows. And I highly recommend going back. If you have not watched that video, go back and watch it. If you watched it before, it might be a good time to watch it again. And go to the part where we talk to him about transfers, about the way transfer windows work, how you can have everything kind of lined up where you think you're going to be able to make moves. The window opens and things fall apart. I can tell you right now, there's a very big move that Quakes thought they had in the bag Christmas Eve. And they thought they, were, they had it in the bag. And at the very last second, a team came in and were able to unseat the Quakes with a good enough offer and the player was able to be closer to family. So they took another offer from another team. This is very, very common. These things, types of things happen all the time. So um, there's very good intentions, I think, on the part of the team to be able to make moves in the window. But no, we're not going to hear about those. They're not going to tip their hand on those. Uh, no one's going to talk about moves that they're going to make before they're going to make them. There's a lot of good reasons to not do that. One of the things is you got to keep the players on the field motivated uh, in their roles. And they're the players until there's other, other players that would be starting in their spots. And you got to keep them motivated. And if they think they're being replaced, you're going to lose that motivation really quickly. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go out and say, oh, we're going to, to get a left wing. Oh, we're going to get you know, another central midfielder because you're basically telling the players that you have that we don't believe in you um, very clearly out yeah. of the gate and you don't, you don't want to affect that motivation. So that's why they I was actually that. thinking about that a lot tonight, Jamin, with some of the subs in this match, you know, Tommy Thompson, a guy who's been with the team for quite a while, who I think a lot of fans believe that perhaps his, his time could be up soon, or we've seen, uh, throughout the season, ben Benji Kakanovich has kind of struggled to make his mark with this team despite the fact that he's been giving, you know, getting those opportunities when uh, Cape Cowell is unable to come through. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely like an interesting point. And just considering like how these guys perform, yes, we do, or the, at least the organization wants them, wants to see them continue to perform at their highest level. And so uh, I don't think we're going to hear much there. And even thinking back, like in the beginning of the season, um, the Jonathan Mensa acquisition, right? That's just something that kind of like sprung up. It was, out of necessity. However, there wasn't a lot of chatter uh, in terms of like the actual acquisition or, or signing itself. You know, Nathan went down and then boom, it just kind of sprang up. And so I think that's kind of like the norm that people should be used to. And it is frustrating, right? It's fun to talk about rumors. It's it's fun to like come up with ideas and post it on social media and chatter about it. And yeah, we can do that stuff too. But I think us as like, like working here at Quake's Epicenter, we do take that quite serious and, you know, just kind of throwing out names for fun and not having any like substance to it is not really the way that we operate here. And so, um, yes, it can be frustrating and, and not as, not as fun having those names, but we don't want to just 
you know, create um, things out of thin air. You know, we want to make right. sure we're actually tracking what's truthful and what's honest. If you, yeah, if you're hearing something from us, um, and even if it's just in the Slack, um, you're going you're going to hear something that that we feel very very good about. That mm -hmm. there is significantly. In fact, I tend to not move on information when I have it. And then yeah, I've been beaten by by Tom Bogert. I don't know how many times. Uh, to putting the information out publicly, but I also he's feel good at good. that. He's really good at that. But I also feel good when Tom puts it out because then I know, hey, my information's good. And yeah. you know, if Tom if Tom says it's good, it's probably good. So there are names I trust. There are names I definitely don't trust. And uh, Tom Tom's one of those those names. Um, so another uh, question over here that I saw: uh, When is the uh, when is it going to open up? I, I sorry, I kind of lost it there. When is the window going open up? And the answer is uh, July fifth is the first day of the window. Uh, it, that's, I'm going off a of memory here, but I believe that's right. I think it goes July 5th to around August 2nd. So it's almost a month in length, but uh, July 5th. Um, someone had mentioned, or it seems like we're the only MLS team that has to rely on drafting home growth players in depth. That is definitely not true. Um, every, Just about every fan you talk to in MLS right now is going to tell you that their team is does not have enough depth, that yep. they are struggling coming into the all-star break. They are struggling coming into League's Cup. They don't have the depth, you know, and every, just about every single team will tell you the exact same thing. The, the fans will tell you the exact same thing. And even if you talk to the executives, they'll tell you the exact same thing. There's a reason secondary transfer window, you know, is, is a useful tool and why a lot of teams are able to utilize it to be able to, to refresh um, but also, too, there's a lot of teams that are starting to make signings from their second teams in MLS Next Pro, um, and we're seeing more of that, and the Quakes have yet to do that. So I actually want to see that happen. I hope that somebody from Next Pro steps up to the point where they're just begging to be signed to the first team, um, and I would like to see a bit more of that. And it looks like we finally have our team there on the pitch, as we said, or pitch side, I would say, uh, <laughs> yeah. Robert Jonas and Alex Morgan. Robert and Alex, hey, guys. I got Phil hey, David Damon. here. I hear he's going to try to run down there and talk with you yeah. guys. I'm, I'm going to drop out here soon. So why don't we let Phil go, and then I'm going to ask you guys what you heard from uh, talking with Lucha Gonzalez and a player uh, in, the, uh, in, in the locker room, if I can. So as I mentioned to the fans here, not a traditional type of press conference tonight. They don't really have the facility for it there at Stanford Stadium. It's been in the past uh, like a corner of, of the locker room away from everybody else is pretty much the same true tonight. And, and what did you get out of it? Well, Jamin, they, they had a bit of an issue tonight. The issue being some flooding in Stanford Stadium on this ground level. There was a bit of a moat that was made around the field level. During the fireworks, apparently one of the sewage pipes burst right over here, right to my left, right in front of the tunnel where the players were going from the field back to the locker room. So there was a big delay tonight because all of the players got stranded on the field after the fireworks show and it took them about a half an hour. They came out with a team with some mops and brooms to clean up here pitch side, but they've got it clear. The Stanford Stadium staff has uh, uh, made sure everything's in tip-top shape. And, and me and Robert did get to speak with Luchi Gonzalez and with Jackson Yule, uh, and we're happy to share some of the highlights that we took away from those conversations. All right, I'll zoom back out so that uh, you can see me ask the questions here. 
So, you know, without further ado, I think I want to like kind of just keep it on you guys for a bit here. Uh, why don't you give us uh, a bit about uh, what they talked about after the game? Because, you know, for, for the first time in a while, the Quakes won the XG battle, but they trailed at two different points in the game. So it never felt like they were in a position to be able to win at any point in the game uh, because of that. So, uh, and plus with a couple questionable calls toward the end, a penalty that was waved off, it just made it feel even more like in a game that the Quakes should have had the opportunity to be on the attack, should have been on the front foot, should have had the lead and forced the Galaxy to chase them. The shoe was on the other foot still. Um, what did they uh, What did they tell you tonight? Yeah, Lucci mentioned the, the XG. That was one of the, his first uh, comments to a lot of us about the game. You know, he recognized that as well. He wouldn't let us forget it. He wouldn't <laughs> let us forget it. Thank you. That's a good way to put it. You know, I think the uh, the, the realization that the uh, the kind of the sloppiness, the the inability to, to to defend in those first couple of minutes of the second half, you know, put him behind the eight ball, and and they kind of forced him into that reactive mode. And Lucci talked about you know having to you know think about his substitutes as pure energy guys. You know, that's exactly how he described it. He just wanted to get guys in the field by that second half and to see if he could push, push, push. And and the Quakes were getting their opportunities, but. You know, LA at that point was trying to defend their lead, and, and uh, you know, it, looked, it was just a game of waiting to see if they could finally uh, kind of crack the code. And sure enough, their uh, their all star and their MVP candidate is the one who got the uh, the tying goal tonight. And and I'm with you, Jamin. It didn't feel like after that goal that the Quakes were going to go on and easily win this game. Uh, it sounded like Lucci and we talked to Jackson both kind of felt that the game was in their favor by the end. I don't know. I didn't quite see it that way, but uh, hey, that's that was their words. Here's what we've learned. Uh, about the Cali Classico, it's not it's not how the Quakes start, it's how they end these games. <laughs> and it felt like this one was building for a comeback. Yep. I, I, I did feel like the team leading up to that equalizing goal were pushing. They had numerous chances. They had the momentum. Uh, and it felt like it was theirs to take. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I have to respect them for that because this is not a team that has a ton of depth coming off the bench. We've seen their substitutes struggle throughout the season. We've seen Tommy Thompson struggle. Buddha struggle to get involved. Uh, Jack Skane struggle to get involved. Tonight, I think all of those players were, were pretty critical and, and stepped up the level. Tommy Thompson, want to give him credit, again, playing in the number 10 position where he's used to playing. He looked good. He came on. He raised the level. That midfield in the first half was really struggling to deal with Ricky Pooch in the midfield. Uh, and, and that's what gave the Galaxy the edge that they had in the first half. They were looking to sit in, in bunker and then counterattack. And the way they were able to get out was by getting the ball through Ricky Pooch in the midfield, finding those, those balls in between the lines, and then launching forward. And, yeah. and that was what made them dangerous. And, and Lucha Gonzalez was more than aware of that, more than aware of that danger. Uh, and I think in the second half, you saw the Quakes deal with it a little bit better. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate they allow the corner uh, kick goal there and, and, uh, and it's unfortunate uh, that there were you know, two long VAR call times that, that, that ate up all of the stoppage time. It felt like it was there for the taking, but it, it, the stars didn't quite align tonight. Yeah, and I, and I think also, you know, hearing Lucci speak, hearing Jackson Ewell speak, a player we were able to, to talk to tonight. Um, one thing that struck me, Alex, is neither seemed upset about the results. And I may, maybe you can't get upset mm -hmm. about a tie where you come back twice to, to earn the point. But it did feel like, uh, and again, my observation, I didn't think the Quakes were going to win this game if it went another five or ten minutes. They really felt they were going to win this game if, the, if it had kept going. It seemed almost as if, you know, there was a happiness that they got the point as opposed to maybe a little more kind of bite in their, in their comments about 
you know, essentially walking away without the two points that they shipped the Galaxy down in L.A. I, I think it's hard to be angry or disappointed after such a fun game like this. Well, after at fireworks, Stanford Stadium, upset, right? after the fireworks, you can't be <laughs> upset. You know, after the, the sewage leak, you have some perspective about what it yeah, means that was pretty to shitty. be a professional <laughs> athlete. But uh, and so that's why I think that maybe Lucci and, and Jackson, you were a little more positive about this result but I, I do think it's true that this was a game that the earthquake should have favored themselves in the LA galaxy towards the bottom of the table have been struggling immensely this season a game at home at at stanford stadium with the crowd behind them like this yeah. is one that they're going to want to start better i think they'd be you know disappointed with the way they started that second half because uh it was it was there for the taking it was, it was. and uh you know if not for for those lapses in midfield uh, they, they could have come away with three points. It was great to see the energy from the subs. You know, if they're not going to come in as the most accomplished players, at least they got to come in with something positive. And the stadium itself was getting really loud at that point. You know, the wave was starting to go ahead of the equalizing goal. You could see players, you know, getting a little more stuck in. The ball was consistently forward. I mean, the Galaxy, I think, had a lot of possession, but it was really in their defensive third for, for long stretches of that second half. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly, the, uh, you know, what Lucci wanted out of the guys. And he got it. So I guess that's a positive. You hang your hat on that. But again, another conference opponent. You've played them twice. You know, they've got uh, the one point in two games. They played St. Louis, zero points in two games. Those are swings and that are, you know can really affect the standings if we look at it by the end of the season. You know, they, you know, I just want to see more out of this team, especially in a home game like this. I think you're rapidly seeing the Quakes losing hope of getting a home playoff spot now. Yeah. You're looking up at the rest of the Western Conference table. And it's going to be really hard for them to claw their way back up there. I think now that you're looking at a team that needs to get wins in order to secure their spot yeah. in the playoffs and, and make sure there's no scares at the last minute. Uh, and that, that needs reinforcements to do that. Because another theme that you saw tonight uh, was them trying to find different options going forward. That's something that both Lucci Gonzalez and Jackson Yule talked about in the press conference, was that they need more options, more surprise going forward. That was the reason that they started Jack Skane on the right wing, Christian Espinosa on the left wing, flip them from what we saw uh, against the Houston Dynamo and, and, and earlier this week and uh, what everyone was expecting, right? Christian Espinosa has been San Jose's right winger uh, for the last three years, but they've been trying it out in practice this week is what Luigi Gonzalez said. And they wanted to give Christian Espinosa more space because he's been getting shut down. Teams have been double teaming him, jumping on him, not letting him get on the ball. By moving him to the left, he was able to get involved and play more, and they were able to be more dynamic on that right wing. We really liked that play that they had on that right wing in the first half. They looked dangerous. They looked dynamic. Uh, and Jack Skane was the one who ended up scoring yep. that first equalizing goal. To his credit, stepping up in a big way on that right wing more goals than we've seen from Benjamin Kanovich and Kate Callow this season. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, you know, Christian uh, with the goal tonight, tonight as well, both wingers getting the two goals for uh, the Earthquakes, both goals coming more central too. So your wingers are the ones coming in and getting the shots off. Lucci mentioned that he just wants to see more shots coming out of that, uh, that middle of the formation. You know, Jeremy just didn't have it uh, tonight. He just didn't get the opportunities and, and we didn't see Jackson. We didn't see Nico step up and get a, a real solid opportunity uh, that uh, I think that Lucci was looking Looking for. Hey, his wingers did the job tonight. And uh, if that's your two goals out of those guys, you know, if the, if the forwards can heat up as well, then yeah, maybe there's a little more uh, kind of hope that the offense can uh, get, get more going. And so there, I, I think that overall, there's still, you know, concern about the, the trajectory of this team and the fact that this team is entering the meh stage of the season. That's yeah. how we described it on, on last week's show. And I, I think that's fitting. But I think we are starting to see Lucci 
you know, mess around with some things that could be the, the genesis of some new hope mm -hmm. in, in, in uh, you know, a spark that could get this offense going again. And let's keep in mind, before the earthquakes fly next, what's happening? July 5th, secondary transfer window is open. Transfer season is starting. The Quakes can get some new additions in the, in the market. Hey, hey guys, uh, real, real quick here, if I can jump in, because you guys are doing great. And uh, I hate to stop you. You're on a, you're on a roll. But we do want to get Phil in. He's mic'd up and ready to go. And when he's in, I'm going to need to sign off some technical limitations that we do have. Uh, I'm hearing with a bit of the setup here. So I'm going to say good night. Uh, thanks to all three of you for your coverage tonight. I'll go into a little bit of producer mode here with, with an A. Uh, but the new mics sound great. The setup looks good. Um, I'm really uh, excited about uh, this new phase of opportunity that we've got with uh, Quake Center, uh, Quake Summit Center, with this uh, new setup and the the aftershock post game show. But I'm going to sign off and kind of let you guys keep talking about transfers. Not that Phil and I haven't already talked <laughs> about all this, and the fans, you know, haven't heard uh, about it for the last 20 minutes. But you guys just go ahead because you have no idea what we said. But Phil can maybe uh, maybe help you out with where to go. But Absolutely. I'm going to sign off. Have a good night. Uh, appreciate uh, all three of you. Thanks, Thank you so much for your coverage here tonight. And uh, I'll turn it over to you. Absolutely. Thank you, Jamin. Thank you and Phil both for uh, kicking off the show and for taking us through uh, the fireworks show. I, I know that Phil sacrificed his, his opportunity to watch the fireworks. It was a 10 out of 10, Phil. Uh, oh, really? You'll, you'll get okay. them next year. <laughs> but uh, we also want to thank all of the fans for uh, your, your support on Patreon, for uh, supporting Quake's Epicenter and making this happen, giving us the ability to be down here pitch side with some new mics, some new gear, yeah. uh, and some new ideas for how we can improve our Earthquakes coverage. So we're hoping to do more of this throughout the season uh, to make sure that we're getting you all the best coverage of the San Jose Earthquakes. And as this team is making a playoff push, get you behind the scenes to see how they're doing that. Uh, and uh, as this secondary transfer window is opening, maybe some mm -hmm. rumblings, Phil. What, what were you and Jamin chatting about before we got here? What secrets were you I keeping? mean, what were we talking about? We were talking about everything. I mean, like tactics, uh, possibilities, looking towards the future, whether or not they need to make signings or whether they can rely on the players that are already on the team. And so um, it sounds like we're a little bit in, you know, in between right now, but there are a lot of possibilities for this team. I mean, as you said, the transfer window is going to be opening up on July 5th, and you can keep an eye on that until August 2nd. And so in that time frame, um, you know, anything can happen. One thing that Jamin was very clear about was that um, they're kind of hush-hush about the actual players coming in or the actual yeah. signings until the moment it happens. And so I'm actually – that was one thing that we spent, you know, right before I left, what we were talking about. So I'm interested in what you guys think about that, you know, before we get out of here because I think that's one thing that a lot of fans are curious about. I, uh, I'll just say I tried to get Chris Leach's attention, and uh, I got a little bit of a brush off and a good night. And uh, so – we got to be a little more investigative next time, but uh, <laughs> they, they, we'll, make we'll make they, it happen. They, they call Robert Fabrizio Romano in the press box. That's, <laughs> right. that's his nickname like that. in yeah, the press yeah. box. So you can catch all of the all of the latest transfer news on Quake Seven Center in our Patreon Slack. The rumors are running wild. Five dollars a month, you get in there. I've heard it's, they're, they're calling the QE Patreon Slack the new Twitter. Now that there's a a rate limit on Twitter. There is no rate limit in the QE Patreon Slack. Uh, you can spam us all you want. That's true. Um, Phil might mute you. Yeah, you can chat all you want in there. I, I think, gentlemen, there's one reason that, that, that keys to me the Quakes need to go in the transfer market, and that's what we've seen from Nico Shakiris in the last few games. Because we want to give Nico Shakiris a ton of credit, 16 years old, stepping up 
tonight, starting in the Cali Classico. A huge start for him. He got his first start just the other week for the Earthquakes, getting tons of playing time after a successful stint at the U-20 World Cup. Mm. But maybe we can see that he's still only 16 years old. Right. He still has room to grow, and the Quakes don't want to put him in a situation where they're relying on him to do everything in the middle. Well, where they're relying on him to a, score goals. Was a perfect relying example on him that, to, right. to defend. Because I think mm-hmm. we saw tonight he struggled a little bit in that first half defensively trying to, to mark Ricky Pooch. And there's no midfielder in MLS who's going to do a better job than Ricky Pooch uh, of getting in behind you and making you look bad. Uh, but I think we saw tonight <sighs> the fact that if the Quakes can get another option in the midfield, that would be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 someone with uh, you know just that ball awareness to uh, to again get guys uh, get guys active again. You know, you mentioned Tommy kind of playing a little bit at number ten. You know, he's not the answer at number ten, but a player that has a little more ability to create and have a little more vision around the field would be wonderful to see. You know, the Quakes were missing uh, Miro tonight. Uh, we know he was listed as questionable, and I never got a a, a strong answer or at least a, a complete answer of why he wasn't available for the, the Earthquakes tonight. But missing a DP, I think, makes a difference in that midfield i mean that's maybe why nico's in there instead of miro but uh you know that's uh that first choice starting lineup kind of going back to what you mentioned i feel the the quakes top 11 the starting 11 is a playoff team it's just do you do you have enough players behind that starting 11 to do anything in the playoffs and i think that's still where chris needs to get on his horse and and get a few of those guys that can make a difference. Maybe this is why he's been avoiding your, your college, Robert. Maybe you're putting too much pressure on, on I, the big man. You know, sometimes that, he needs it. <laughs> <laughs> at, at this point, you know, I, I would say this, you know, if, if Chris, if you're watching, you know, one thing we've seen the Quakes do a lot is kind of wait late in transfer windows to get people yeah. in in the summer. And it feels like this is a team that can't wait that long to get somebody that's going to make an impact. If, he, if a player is coming in in the, in the beginning of August and takes three or four weeks to get match fit, You've only got a couple of months left to make a difference, and that's mm-hmm. maybe not enough to keep this Quakes uh, solidly above that playoff line. And I think, Alex, to your point, a home game, ooh, other than that best of three series where you kind of get one anyway, but well, as long as you get in here's, top seven. Here's what I'm saying, Robert. I'm saying that any new signings, Chris Leach should have been bringing them to this game at Stanford Stadium. I think it'd be pretty easy to convince a prospective signing right. to join the Earthquakes if they see the atmosphere uh, here at Stanford Stadium. You know what, though? I don't, I, I don't think the answer is going to be from outside the league. I think the answer has to be from inside the league. At this point in the season, Robert, you made a good point. Having to adjust to the league, you know, getting the playing time, adjusting to the team, it's just like too much to do at the very end of the season. They need somebody who has the MLS experience, who knows what it's like to travel throughout the United States and Canada, and somebody who can just step in, who is primed and ready to get the minutes for the team. Because there are, as we discussed before, Alex, there are guys in this league already who are looking to get those minutes. They're coming off the bench. They're effective for their teams, and they just want to have that opportunity. And I think the Quakes should be going for those types of players. We did get one other thing answered tonight, I think, and that was some of the questions about uh, the back line and whether Jonathan Mensa was the right player to be starting back there. Obviously, he'd been benched for an extended period of time. He'd been left off the roster because of a disciplinary issue, slowly reintegrating. We saw him last weekend struggle in his return to the starting lineup. Mm. We've seen him struggle, uh, not look like himself, the player he was at the start of the season, not look confident in his game, give away some goals. And so there were open questions about whether you know, he, he'd lost that, uh, that confidence that he had at the beginning Something of the season. Something just flew by. I didn't know what the heck that was. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, Phil, I, I want to throw it back to you. I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan yeah. Mensah, do you have confidence in him again? Because this performance this looked moment, solid with yeah. Rodriguez in the back. It looked like they were maybe recapturing right. some of that. Right. Actually, Jamin and I talked a little bit about that before we brought you guys on, too, and that 
there are moments in which Mensa isn't necessarily look like the, the best option moving forward. And a lot of people in the chat were talking about Tanner Beeson as well. Now, I'm not necessarily sold on the fact that Tanner Beeson is the better option over Jonathan Mensa, but I do have my concerns about him in the center back position. So I don't know if that's a place where the Quakes need to make a signing, but it's something they need to figure out pretty quickly. I think we were talking in our conversation with, with Lucci and with Jackson Ewell. The key was looking forward how they can improve their offense. I think they're confident in the defense. Where this team is at right now, mm. it's that offense that they're trying to improve. Robert, we saw some, some good tackles from Rodriguez, some good last-minute blocks in there. So clearly he's, he's not an issue at the back at this no, stage. No, no, and it's no. great to see him past June 30th. So I think something about that loan deal must have been worked out that they maybe haven't announced yet because, as I remember, it was a loan through June. So um, uh, we need to find a little more information about that. Um, that tackle uh, that he uh, he blocked that uh, shot late in the game, I think that was the highest XG shot the Galaxy had all night. Yeah, uh, it was pretty incredible. And, uh, and just a, a great save. You know, Daniel made a couple first uh, first half saves. That uh, that overhand save at the far post to keep things uh, scoreless at the time. You know, I think this defense looks pretty good. Miguel Trauco, I mean, he he already was impressing me, but every game is just. He keeps impressing me more. Mm. Some of those 60-yard, 70-yard cross passes he was doing on a dime just make me ooh and ah as well. And that's just something that Quake – that's an attack. That's part of your attack to have a player in defense Absolutely. that can do that. So, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't see a lot out of Carlos tonight. You know, Paul Marie came in more to just make a, make a move and get in there and make energy. Um, so, you know, there's where maybe the defense could use a little help on that side. And I, I think that was part of the strategy tonight. Tonight, what we saw the Earthquakes doing – that we hadn't seen them do a ton before was, was really commit Miguel Trauco forward. Yeah. And they'd have Miguel Trauco drop into the some of the half spaces that Jameer Montero usually likes to occupy. Jameer Montero is usually the guy stepping out wide behind the left winger, behind Cade Cowell, and making plays happen. Mm -hmm. Tonight, that was Miguel mm -hmm. Trauco. And one of the Quakes' best chances tonight was when Miguel Trauco got in that little half space right between the out in the, the, he did that little shimmy play, yeah. and then he rocketed a left foot shot mm -hmm. on target that was just tipped over. We've seen him score from that position yeah. earlier this season. Right. We know he has that shot, and I like him in that position. I think committing him forward was a good move. It was something the Galaxy weren't expecting. And then naturally, the, the, you know, the, the natural reaction that you have to bring Carlos Acapo deeper and mm -hmm. in, in, in shoring up that back line. And so that's why we didn't see Carlos Acapo get forward as much this season. But as far as the fullbacks are going, I think the Quakes are in a great position because then you have a guy like Palmeri who can come on in right. raise the intensity, can get in on those overlaps and get balls into the box because neither Miguel Traco nor Carlos Acapo in those positions that they were starting tonight are really guys that are going to get in behind and, and get cutbacks and, and you know, service I don't, I don't Jeremy. Know, I don't know that I agree with that in regards to Miguel Trauco. I thought this match kind of showed that he is capable of doing that. Like, yes, he can go in centrally and create chances, but I think he can be effective in the overlap as well. So, you know, whether or not he's actually going to be as consistent with with the crosses as Espinosa is is another question, but I think he's another part of the attack that can definitely be brought forth for this team like another different tactical change one thing that Jamin and I talked about before we brought you guys on too was uh what sorts of things can we see from this team what sorts of tactical changes can Luchi Gonzalez make to have them be more effective and have a better push towards the playoffs rather than simply relying on those signings which yeah. is kind of like the fun thing right that's what people want to see they want to see the signings but what can be done from within to improve this team because there is still a lot of games left in the season you know, one, one question I probably have for both of you here is, you know, Carlos Grace has been kind of quiet these last few games. And I don't know if that's because he's been effectively, you know, quietly effective or just quietly quiet. Um, mm. He's not getting, I think at the beginning of the season, we saw him be a little more aggressive, get stuck in a little bit more, really be 
that last defender in the midfield. And it, 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 it seemed to kind of energize that defensive line quite a bit. Rodriguez was looking great tonight. I totally agree. But I mean, the, the Carlos we've seen really kind of take over in that part of the field didn't see as much tonight. I don't know if that's something to be concerned about, or maybe he's, uh, again, just doing his job and uh, we're not noticing. I, I not agree. Noticing. I think I think the midfield has been struggling a little bit more. The play that happened a couple times tonight that was destabilizing that midfield was was with the press and with Nico Shakira shutting off a few times, yeah. and that allowed the Galaxy to get the ball in. And then Carlos Grezzo is put in a really bad spot. He gets those crunching tackles, not just because he's insane and will dive <laughs> in whenever is asked of him, but because he's in the right position to make the right tackle at the right time. Tonight, he wasn't because then once the Galaxy break that first line, he's in a bad spot. He doesn't know whether he needs to step up or if he needs to drop to, mm-hmm. to, to, to keep hold of his man. And so he's kind of caught in no man's land. And that's where we saw him a couple times. Uh, we saw that structure fall apart. The structure that Uchi Gonzalez has been so adamant about, has liked so much, yeah. has, has been so solid in the midfield. We saw that start to come apart a little bit tonight. So I think, I think that's a part of the issue. Uh, and and uh, as far as the, the buildup goes, I, I don't see a problem with the way they were playing in the buildup. I actually think tonight we saw the Earthquakes dominate in the buildup on the ball in a way that they haven't done for a few games now. And we saw mm. them being able to rotate, and we saw Nico Shakiris dropping back and starting to make plays happen. We saw the outside backs getting involved in the buildup. So I don't think Carlos Grezzo's you know, skill set has to be you know, uh, to make him the, the guy that's leading the buildup, that is distributing oh, no, the no. balls. Yeah. I think as long as the movement in the middle is solid – and the guys like Nico Shakiris and Jackson Ewell and the distributors are getting the ball. He's doing his job great. So I think in terms of the, the buildup, I think you're right. It's quietly effective. But I also, I kind of agree with what Robert's saying here too, because like one of the things that Grueso can do really effectively that we haven't seen from him is be another like point of the attack, like right. where the attack can shift from. And yes, I think it's great that the Quakes can rely on Jackson Ewell to do that, that they can rely on Jamero Montero or Nico Shakiris, like whoever is in that position. But when you have Carlos Grueso adding in as well, because we know that he is a solid passer, that can open up a lot more things for the team as well. So like having to or having the ability to rely on each section of the midfield, you know, six, eight, and ten, and not just eight and ten, I think opens up a lot of things for the team. So yes, Grueso is doing his job defensively. I agree with you there, Alex. But I think if he it has a little bit more freedom or at least is playing more effectively from that position and making some of those deep passes like we've seen from Rodriguez, for example. I know we noticed that throughout the match. If we're seeing that from Gruezo as well, I think that's going to make the team even more dynamic. I, I think there might be a tendency here to overanalyze because we're, we're, <laughs> we're sure. all, there are only so many players. I mean, we're like half into the show, right? So, I, I know. I'm, I'm saying this. I'm saying this, I, I'm saying this mostly because I think the problems are elsewhere. We're looking at things that Quakes are lacking and, and trying to pin that all on the 11 guys they have on the field. The issue is not the players they have. Yeah. It's the players they don't. It could be a little deeper, maybe. I think <laughs> so, yeah. I could see Side some blotches. And yeah. But no football lines, so that's a good thing. No football lines. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, to, that, to that point, you know, Lucci mentioned, too, that you know he <laughs> knew LA Galaxy's midfield was going to be tough. And it was incumbent upon the Quakes midfielders to not maybe do a, maybe a little more bend than break you know, kind of, kind of defense. And, and, you know, to that, to that, you know, you don't want to pick up an early yellow card. You want to kind of make that space, you know, controllable. And so to me, you know, maybe it is a job well done. I like seeing the Carlos that gets stuck in. I'll just mm-hmm, say it that mm-hmm, way, which is why I made mm-hmm. that comment, but you know, they got ran over in the midfield at one time, uh, kind of sloppy at the beginning of the second half, but uh, LA didn't get a lot of 
strong or, or great opportunities in that, in that top of the box area. So doing the job, I guess. What we're really thinking here, Alex, is that we want to see some Carlos Grueso goals. We haven't seen that yet. Oh, I'd love to see that. That'd be fantastic, <laughs> yeah. You want to see him crack it from the top of the box? Yeah. Is that it? I want to see a little bit a of little that Jose in Boca Doi. We haven't had there. that in a while, so <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit of that with our Carlos Grueso. That'd be cool. Okay, what? Luchi Gonzalez, the thing he's been saying is getting more goals from different mm -hmm. spots on the field, yeah, getting other players <laughs> involved, because we've still seen uh, you know, most of the, the attack rely on Christian yeah, Espinosa yeah. and uh, Jeremy Obobese. And mm -hmm. I want to ask you guys what you thought about Jeremy Obobese tonight, because it wasn't a game that, where he was able to get super involved, but he mm -hmm. did early on in the first half have some moments down that right wing where he looked promising. So where do you come out on, on Jeremy Abobasi in this point? I think what people need to understand about Jeremy Abobasi is he's somebody who has a role within the team that isn't just, like, scoring the goal. Like, obviously, he is one of the main goal scorers for the team, but he does a lot of other things off the ball that open things up for the other parts of the pitch, right? And people, I think, need to recognize that, especially those of you who are in the YouTube chat who are saying that Jabo has been horrible over, over the last few games. Well, I'm watching the game from up in the press box, and I simply don't agree with that. I think what he does in his hold-up play and the way he draws in defenders opens up things for, like, Christian Espinoza, who has been incredibly effective on the wings. Without having Jeremy Abobasi to occupy that space in the middle, playing that nine position that we've wanted for so long for this team, that doesn't happen. You don't get those open spaces. So for Jeremy Abobasi, I think he's doing fine. He's scoring goals, and he's, create, he's helping the team to find space in other parts of the pitch. I, I think there'd be a very different narrative about Jeremy Abobasi if, if that cross from Benji Kukanovic in the late in the second half were, were two inches uh, slower, were two inches uh, in the opposite direction, because that was almost a chance that was a mirror copy replica of the Alan Gordon famous uh, I know, 2013 San Jose yeah. There it, was the it, long it, diagonal it was ball. There. You had Benji Kukanovic stop on the ball, cut it back. The problem was he didn't do the, the swivel hips and faint. If he, he had didn't, done the he didn't do what faint, happened to A.J. De La Garza and falling over that Marvin Chavez. That did, would right? have given Jeremy Obosi the time to finish his run and, and connect on the end yeah, of that ball. He, he and just didn't and I it. think if the Earthquakes put that goal away and get the emphatic late winner in the Cali Classico, there would be a completely different narrative. I think it would be more apparent that the problems with these teams – is fairly small and can be fixed by a number 10 or a, a winger that's well, I think that, that's spark. it. You, you just hit it right on the head. That's the issue here, right? There were a lot of near chances in this match. We saw Tommy Thompson get really close. We saw, uh, we saw uh, Miguel Trauco have the opportunity. We saw Christian Espinoza hit the crossbar. Like, there were a lot of opportunities for the team to score and win this match and get the three points. And we would be having an entirely different, discu different discussion if any of those chances went into the back of the net. So I think you're absolutely right. And the good teams in MLS, they make those things happen. And so that's one of the things for this team. That's what the Quakes need to do to be one of the top teams in the league. And right now, they're not quite there, but almost. Robert, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic about the rest of this summer? Let's, let's take it. I'm not used to standing next to Robert. He's so much taller than me. Usually, usually we're on seats in the press box. <laughs> Equalizer. Maybe the next I time we don't have to do that. <laughs> in the middle, Phil. <laughs> Unlike this. <laughs> let's, let's take it one step at a time, Robert. Yeah. The, the next month, July, there's a big stretch of games here before League's Cup yep. break. Anything can happen after League's Cup break. That's a month-long <laughs> break that the Quakes are going to have. Yeah. They're going to be able to integrate new signings. They're probably not going to do that for, for this, this month of July. Yep. Where, where's your outtake on what to expect from the Quakes this month? I would like to see the Quakes treat this like it's the end of the season and mm -hmm. have the intensity to get the points that are available to them. You know, they've got some road games coming up. You know, they were, they're starting to show a little more of that uh, kind of a verve on the road. 
and they need to they get a, a three point, a couple, maybe a couple of three points in those road games to to show they have that capability. I, I think League's Cup. I don't know how the Quakes are going to uh, you know approach that tournament. I don't know how many teams in MLS might approach it, but to me, that's a break, and it's it's truly a break where you can run your guys you know up into those games and see if you can collect a, a fair amount of points in the in this July you know you know couple of weeks here and give yourself some separation so that when you do come back after that tournament uh, assuming the quakes uh, if they don't make a long run they're going to have a lot it's almost like a second preseason in those two weeks after the they uh, can take them to dubai they, they could have all sorts <laughs> of fun yeah yeah dubai in the summer that's a great idea right um, <laughs> something in south america and I'll, I'll come along and practice my spanish can't wait uh, but but this this these games are important and they are important i think because of League's Cup. You don't have to treat it as a summer malaise or a summer meh. You know, maybe the period of meh needs to be put away at this point. This needs to be, you know, a, a good couple of weeks of intensity out of these guys. Don't run them into the ground, but I mean, mm-hmm. but take the opportunities you have and be realistic that, yeah, these are points to get. They, they've got one point in the last two games here at home, if you count Stanford is home, and, and you should. This is an amazing mm-hmm. atmosphere mm-hmm. for games mm-hmm. um, against against conference opponents that they've already lost to this season. They can't keep affording to give those points away. Those are the head-to-heads that are going to come back to haunt them later on. And so that's what I'm going to be looking for in these coming weeks. Joe? What? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like in terms of heading into the the Nations League, like I don't even know if that's going to be a legit concern for the Earthquakes because they're playing Tigres. They're a dominant team in Liga Mackies. Um, so you're I don't pessimistic know. about about League's Cup. You think the Quakes are going to get rolled? No, I agree. I agree with Robert. I think like they should just be focusing more on the league result, the actual league results, um, because as we know. In MLS, when teams get to the playoffs, the teams that have the home advantage are the teams that win and go farther along and have the opportunity to win MLS Cup. And so um, it's funny because we've had this conversation before in regards to like U.S. Open Cup and getting into Champions League. I know that's one thing that I would love to see the Quakes do, but I just don't know that this is the best opportunity for the team to actually get trophies you know, because they're going to be going up against some really I'm, stiff I'm, competition. I'm hearing a lack of buy-in about the concept of, of League's Cup in this conversation. I think yeah, I think Don League's Garber's Cup. got some work to do if he wants to convince uh, skeptics like Robert uh, and Phil. And yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not curious if, if our if our uh, fans in the chat have any comments about that, whether that's a tournament that fans want to see the Quakes take seriously or whether that's an opportunity <laughs> to rest and build up uh, energy for, for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, they have the home game against Tigres, but then they're away at Portland, you know, and, and that's never an easy mm-hmm. uh, contest for this team. And if they don't get a result in Portland and then them facing one of Mexico's top teams, you know, that's, you know, two games and they're done. You know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's not the that's not the you know, that's not forecasting exactly what's going to happen. But there's a pretty you know, good reality uh, kind of on the horizon that that's what that's that's likely yeah. what's going to. And I can't even remember the last time the Quakes won a game against the Portland Timbers in Portland. I mean, they hardly beat the Timbers enough as it is, let alone going into Portland and getting a result. <laughs> so there for some losses. Like, yeah. And, and yeah. <laughs> and so like maybe this is an opportunity for them to run out some of the guys who aren't getting regular minutes in league yeah. play. Um, you know, I, I just don't see the Quakes doing much in this. Just throwing in the towel already. Oh. Yeah, I am. I, I'm just I'm saying it right now. And I'm willing to eat crow. I'm willing to say I was wrong uh, and i i'd like to see the quakes compete every time they go out on the pitch don't get me wrong but if it comes down to focusing more on league play and making a real run at mls cup versus 
Na- Nations League? Is that what it is? Nations the Cup? League Cup. League, the League, League Cup. Cup. Yeah, see, I don't even know. So I, it's really not that important. To I me, mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be watching as somehow Inter Miami make it to the final. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, how, whatever, however they get there, we'll figure it out. Like, They'll figure that out for this them, is, This is. I, I'm going to push back a little. This is a new tournament. This is a new format. And this is a new opportunity for the Quakes to get their hands on some silverware. And, and an opportunity for them to get some prestige. Because that's not an opportunity that they have. Uh, often, and if they win a few games, put a few games together, they can etch their name as the first winner of the League's Cup. And I think that's worth something. We were both disappointed, Phil, when the Kicks didn't take the Open Cup seriously. Yes, I don't know how you got you're me there. The Open Cup with this attitude and turning around the next day and saying the League's Cup. Well, I mean, you have time. a competition that's been around for a hundred years versus a competition that's been around for never. So, I mean, like we're talking about a, a competition that doesn't matter versus. MLS Cup, the, the Quakes have a very good team, and I just think that they should be focusing on this competition. And it's just not the year for them to be to be doing both. So, yes, I'm throwing true. I'm throwing in the towel it on is the, true that the, the League's Cup. It is true that the Quakes the are, are struggling Cup. with depths at the moment, but I I think there is a sign, a reason to be optimistic. And and here's the reason to be optimistic: it's that we've seen the Quakes evolve over the course of the season mm-hmm. already. So I think that. You, you you saw the team at the start of the year. You saw them really struggle on the road and play fantastically at home. You saw them playing primarily through Christian Espinosa and uh, Jeremy Obobese. And now the team looks different. This is a team that can now compete on the road. Within the space of a few months, they fixed those issues, and they're able to improve and, and look different each week. And now we've seen them get more other players involved in the buildup, try out other things in the pack. So we've seen them over the course of a few months, change in a way that we didn't see Matias Al- Almeida's team successfully do. And so I think that's a reason to be optimistic uh, is because they have the capacity to grow that's under this, this Luchi Gonzalez regime. And so I think that the team we see in August is going to be different than the team we're seeing now, and, and they can continue to grow and evolve. And, and, and uh, as long as they can sort out those depth issues in the, the transfer market, I think that's the League's Cup is a good time to show off that, that new strength in market. I, I'm almost there with you until you said that last <laughs> thing because you synthesized like so, so much of what Jamin and I were just talking about that the, there is room for growth within this, this club, and Luchi Gonzalez has the means and the capability and the competence to do that. So, Well, and to the question you asked Luchi tonight, you know, he made made it very clear when talking about Jack Skahan and, and Christian Espinosa kind of flipping uh, sides on the field to start that game, that he's very aware that the league will figure these things out. The scout, you know, it's not as if the games aren't there to scout. Mm-hmm. And it's up to Lucci to be that step ahead of the opponents. And tonight was an example of trying something to be ahead of those guys. Yeah. So, you know, that's where I think uh, there's encouragement that you're right. Adjustments can be made. And he's already showing he's trying those adjustments uh, in the games we saw yeah. tonight, and I would expect them moving forward. That's a big positive, I think, moving forward, yeah. So we want to start to wrap up here. We want to thank everyone for joining us for uh, this marathon episode of the Aftershock <laughs> the Show. They're going to kick uh, us out. The, the lights will, will be uh, turned off here soon at Stanford Stadium. <laughs> but for everyone who tuned in uh, at the start with Jamin and Phil, uh, we want to thank you for sticking around for the second phase of the Aftershock. We hope to be able to do more pitch side shows like this uh, on a, a tighter time frame when we're back at home oh at uh, PayPal Park. There, there shouldn't be any issues with the fireworks show that that will delay us. So if you like this pitch side format, you want to see us pitch side at PayPal Park, uh, let us know in the chat because this is something that we're excited about uh, continuing and, and bringing you guys great coverage. And if you want to support it, uh, you can uh, subscribe to our Patreon. You can contribute to all the work that Phil uh, and Robert and our, our friends Colinette and I are 
uh, Asher Khan, uh, all the rest of the guys. We have a, a production team here back back here with uh, Sinead Patel uh, and Dominic Peters uh, who have helped us put this on tonight. So we want to thank them as well. Uh, and before we wrap, I want to go one last time and get your final thoughts on, on, on tonight's match, gentlemen. Well, I'm just going to kind of reiterate what we were just talking about in terms of Luchi Gonzalez making changes within the game. I think that it is possible for this team to perform better. They have a lot of talent. Yes, it would be great if they went out and found more players to create depth, but there's a lot there for Lucci to work with. And so that's going to be kind of like the final thought that I have going out because I know we're, we're really long in the tooth here, so we want to get out of here. So there is an opportunity for the team to uh, do better under Lucci Gonzalez. And also, I just wanted to direct folks over to quicksepicenter.com one last time uh, and shout that out. And I also wanted to shout out Sarah, our photographer as well, a very important part of our team who provides a lot of great content for us. So, Robert, I'll let you uh, close it out. Yeah. Games at Stanford are amazing. They're fun. They're energetic. You know, fans walk away. They want more. You know, these are the fans that are going to be coming out to PayPal Park for these next couple of home games. And uh, I think the team's going to find uh, the encouragement from that uh, that increased support. And I'm going to go back to that. My idea, I want I want to see July be a winning month, a real winning month, really end this part of the season on a, on a really high note going into that League's Cup tournament and then uh, put themselves in a great position to finish off on the tail end when everything comes it, back to it. It hasn't been a, a winning month for the, the Quakes in a while. July has not but been a good month in the past. I so will say this is improvement, now is the time this is improvement over last July. What happened last July in, in this result? <laughs> the Quakes got humiliated by the Galaxy. Chicharito did the Fortnite dance yeah. on them. Oh, that's right. You saw the response mm -hmm. tonight with the... Uh, Another uh, clown tifo. Uh, no juegas con nosotros yeah. uh, was the, no. uh, the tifo for the Quakes. What did you say? Uh, that <laughs> I'm was, just kidding. That was the tifo. And you saw the Quakes respond on the field and, and mm. show that they can keep up with the Galaxy this year. They're not outclassed. There are a few small errors that they can fix. But uh, for Robert Jonas, Phil Leva, uh, Alex Morgan here, for, for Jamin Moore, who's been producing us this whole time, we want to uh, wish everyone a good night, and uh, we'll see you next time. Take care.